16 and the 5th chapter, verse 18, condemnation actually in this sense is related to judgment. It means an adverse sentence or verdict. That is, one who has been found guilty or one who has been caught in a deliberate attempt or in his, he is caught deliberately doing wrong. I'll get that right. In other words, if a police officer walked upon a man and witnessed the individual committing a crime, maybe with a gun shooting someone, we know that the person has no chance of being set free because he was caught in action. Now, we know to the saints of the Lord that there is no condemnation. Now, I'm going to be talking somewhat about judgment tonight and the church's important role in this. And I know there's a lot in the New Testament about judgment. The Bible prohibits people from judging one another. And uh, I want you to understand the context in which this subject is dealt with in the Scripture. Now, that simply means that two people serving on an equal basis in the body of Christ should not judge each other simply because the Bible prohibits that. But we do know, according to Scripture, that a superior does how the authority granted to him to judge those who labor under him. That is especially true in a household where children are born, that parents do uh, have the authority to determine right and wrong, and also they have the authority to sentence accordingly or to discipline accordingly. And this is something that you need to understand. Uh, we also understand that in the Bible there are statements made that would lead a person to believe that in this age of grace that certain things of the Old Testament are not in uh, force today. Uh, Jesus, the people picked up stones to stone a woman who had been caught in a literal act of adultery. They picked up stones to stone her, and Jesus forgave her and sent her on her way. Now, Jesus told those people, He that is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus began to write in the sand, and I'm not for sure what He wrote, but when He finished, people had left. They had not uh, desired to stay because they felt that God through Jesus Christ, was discerning perhaps their own sin, and of course they went their way. Now, the way I interpret what's found in the Scripture, while I do believe that Jesus was living under the Mosaic Law at that particular time, because all righteousness had not been fulfilled, I find that people had a tendency to take the law in their own hands. And they held a lot of vigilante kangaroo-type courts. And they stoned people without uh, justice taking its toll. 
And the Lord has always been against that. Now, I said that to say this, that there is judgment that comes through the body of Christ, which I will talk about. But it must go through the system or through the church and handled in a particular way. And this would prohibit any person of the church feeling that God has called him to be a judge over the church. Now, what I want to do is turn to Luke the 16th chapter. I read uh, uh, from Luke the 16th a few weeks ago, and we talked about hell, and we talked about the lake of fire, more specifically about hell. And when I talked about this, I was quite uh, general in my, in, in my message. And since then, I've had a good number of people to come up to me and talk to me about this, not really understanding uh, the Scripture. We do have a good number of new people here, and I think that would be good if I just go a little bit deeper into this subject. Now, in Luke, the 16th chapter, starting in verse 19, the Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, I talked about this, and we established that this was paradise, which also is equivalent to heaven. And then, of course, the beggar, the, the rich man died, and he was buried in hell. He lifted up his eyes. Now, the word hell appears here. It's taken from the Greek word Hades, which means the unseen world. Now, in all the New Testament, except one place in the book of, of 1 Corinthians, the word Hades is translated uh, hell uh, pertaining or meaning the lake of fire. Now, uh, when I say the lake of fire, it, it is a lake of fire, but I, I want tonight to, to somehow get in our minds what God's system of justice is really all about and why God does it this way. Now, we do know that there are certain... Uh, denominations that teach that there is no hell, that hell is just the grave, and uh, that uh, that is it. However, uh, there are many times in the Scripture in which uh, uh, it speaks of eternal punishment, it speaks of fire, it speaks of brimstone, in which Hades is not mentioned. The Greek word Hades is not mentioned, which is the equivalent of Sheol in the Old Testament. Now, we know that when a person dies, according to Scripture, that he uh, goes into hell. That is, if he has not repented of his sins, like our children sung. Didn't they do a great job? This was just a, a beautiful message. Jesus said in Luke thirteen three and thirteen five, "Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish." Now, the original law of sin that that is really explained in Ezekiel the eighteenth chapter, verse four. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Uh, we know that, that every man has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that is a, a sentence of death has been pronounced upon all men. But Jesus, when he came upon the scene, he made an exception to the original law of sin. And the exception is this, that except a man repent, he will perish. 
Except a man be born of water and a spirit, he will perish. So when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and preached, uh, when they asked what they must do to be saved, he preached that they must repent of their sins, they must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sins, and they must be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So there is an exception to God's law, and he, being the lawgiver, made that exception. So we all sit here tonight free of condemnation because Jesus made an exception for us. That simply means that Jesus came down and he offered us a plan. He, he, he was uh, crucified upon the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He arose from that tomb after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and ascended into heaven. And his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which is the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, offers an exception for us today. Because he died, so can we repent. Because Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, our sinful desires, our sinful man, the old nature, can be nailed to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was buried, then we also can take the old man that has been crucified or that is repented, and we can bury him with Jesus Christ, and we do that in baptism. And then, of course, Jesus Christ rose to newness of life, making it possible for us to also rise to newness of life by receiving the Spirit of the Holy Ghost in us. And if we have any person here that sits in this sanctuary tonight that's never repented, you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, and you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you are missing out on heaven's best, I can assure you. And if perchance you fail to take advantage of the exception to the rule, then there is no recourse, there is no other option. There, there is just simply nothing else that can take place in your life or your heart that can save you. Now, what I see in the Scripture is that when a man dies, he is then taken, his body is buried in the ground. After he, he, or I say after he is buried in the ground, when he dies, what is done with the body really doesn't make that much difference. But his spirit and soul is then cast into hell. Now, we find in the Scripture, though, that there is something else that takes place later on. Now, the saints of the Lord, uh, when they die, uh, they are taken into Abraham's bosom or into paradise or into heaven. And I just preached a message on that. I'd like to explain more about that. I'd also like to explain more about uh, the business of hell. But you'd have to get the other tape because it would take me too long. I just want to take this a dimension further. It'd take me too long tonight to do this. But the situation is that uh, naturally when a man dies and he is unprepared to meet the Lord, then uh, uh, God takes and and cast that man's soul, that man's spirit, into hell. Now, his body is not there. You, you could go to any number of, of graves and dig up entombed bodies where the bodies are still there, but that does not mean that the person is not in hell at this particular time. But if you would turn to Revelation, the 20th chapter, verse 10, we want to read something, and this, this scripture we find that that is taking place is also spoken of by Peter in 
I believe it's the second chapter or the third chapter of the book of Acts when he speaks of the restitution of all things or the restoring of all things. And basically what he's saying is that there will be a day in which God will even take people who are sinners, people who have died without taking advantage of the exception of the rule, that is, people who have never been born again, God will take them, He will restore the body back together, even if it was burned to, with, uh, with fire and, and, or cremated or whatever, if it was cast in the sea and deteriorated in this particular situation, God will still bring it all back together so that the person will bodily stand before God. So there is a moment in which the spirit and the soul enters back into the body and the person will stand before God to be judged. Now, this is called in the Scripture the white throne judgment. So I start reading in verse 10 of Revelation 20. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now let me point out, the Scripture tells us in John the 8th chapter that, that, the, that, that hell was prepared not for man. Man was prepared to serve God and to live in the presence of God forever. But hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now the only reason why that people go there is because they have sinned, and after they have sinned, they continue to hold on to their sin, and the only thing that will separate man from his sin is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist preached, he introduced Jesus by saying, Behold the Lamb of God that shall take away the sin of the world. And the precious blood that Jesus Christ uh, shed on Calvary's cross was shed there to separate man from his sin. Now, sin is of the spirit world and cannot be destroyed. Therefore, it is confined eternally in the lake of fire. First in hell, then the man comes forth to be judged, and after that then he is cast into the lake of fire. Now, we want to read some further in the 11th verse of Revelation 20. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whom whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place, uh, no place uh, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And death and hell judged out, were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now you, you see the word books is found there. It's in plural form. Now there's, there's, a, there's a lot of speculation about the books. I personally think it's talking about the books of the Bible along also with the... Uh, uh, what we call the book, uh, the book of life, in which our names are recorded, uh, we find that in the scripture. But uh, uh, God keeps good uh, tabs on things that happen on the planet Earth. He keeps a good, clean system of books, and so this is one book. And so every man's going to be judged according to the to the, to the deeds that he has done. There will be a day in which a man will stand before God, and he will be judged. Now, you have to keep in mind that when the white throne judgment takes place, and we call it judgment day, it's not just a 24-hour day. God can stretch it out for a million years if it takes that long. Because at this time, the angel has already stepped one foot on land and one foot on sea and cupped his hands and declared that time shall be no more. And so God stops time as we know it here on the planet Earth 
and we go back to a different measure of keeping time. Time, as we know it, is the way in which God measures duration. Since the fourth day, He put the sun and He put the moon on the pl- in, in orbit, and He caused time to be like we have it now. The first day and the second day and the third day, obviously, were different from 24-hour days. But since then, there's always been a sun. And since then, there's always been a moon. And since then, we've always been able to measure duration by those. But there will be a day in which these will lead out of the path in which they have. And God will stand every man to be judged. God can stretch it out to be a million years if He so desires. But the Bible says that every man whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life, that is, if he had not taken exception or found the exception of the rule and followed it, that he will stand before God to be judged. I'm here to tell you the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, uh, all of the, the wicked people of this day, the Al Capones and such, they will all stand before God to be judged. The small and great, the Bible says, it won't make any difference because at the white throne judgment, all ground is level. You'll stand there because of what's written in the book and you'll have to uh, somehow see your life measured according to Scripture. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. I'm reading verse 12. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books which were written, those things which were written in the books according to the works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead. In other words, out of hell comes those souls, and they're reunited with their bodies, and the bodies are restored, and they're going to stand before God to be judged according to what they have done in the flesh. And then the Bible says in verse 14, that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now basically what the Scripture is saying, that when a man dies, he dies with condemnation on his life. Uh, Now what happens is that his soul and spirit are cast into hell. The word uh, soul in the Bible actually comes from a Hebrew word and then a Greek word that means being, the true you, the inner person. You know, there's you can identify with that, you know... uh, uh, I am seeing more and more uh, uh, how this actually works. Uh, I look back and I just picked up our school yearbook a few weeks ago. We had our 35th uh, uh, class reunion and I looked at my picture and I sent some pictures down there and wrote some letters and, and I, I'm sure that when people saw these they probably laughed and you know it doesn't look like the John Grant that went to school and, and then of course uh, I could walk in the uh, the stewardship room, and when I walk in there, there's a there's a, a man teaching from uh, a, on a video, and, and and his hair is somewhat darker than mine, and a little thicker, and he's a little bit slimmer than I am, and and it doesn't show the age that I that I I presently show, but when I look for a while, I I discover this is John Grant. But you know, the truth of the matter is, I I still feel like I'm me. I feel like I haven't changed, and and. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like a teenager and, you know, that's kind of bound up somehow or, or you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of you older uh, individuals, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been involved in, in some very intense meetings now for two or three weeks. And, and when I went home last night and the family came over to, to celebrate my, my 54th birthday and we just had a great time. And 
And I was enjoying every moment of it. And, and after a while, the hour got late, and, and they left. And then, of course, I was to retire. And, and I just uh, woke up this morning. I, my knee went out a few weeks ago, and, and I've been having to kind of walk on my tiptoe on my on my left leg because I can't bend the knee straight and my foot feels like it's broken and and of course I've got this bad ankle and and then I I uh, pulled a muscle or something in my arm a few months back actually it was in the month of July and every night I wake up and and I've been sleeping on it wrong I told sister Graham I have to tape it to my side somehow I I guess just through habit I, I do something with my arm because it's okay during the day but <clears throat> wake up at night and Oh, the thing aches. And this morning, when the alarm went off, <clears throat> I was just sick. I told Sister Grant, I said, I, I, just, I, just, I just can't. I, I, seriously, I just, I said, I, I, just, I just feel like I'm dying. Well, the, I, I, I just, I had Brother Manley to preach this morning, and I do, do appreciate uh, him preaching. And, and even more, I, I appreciate your understanding. Uh, I'm going to be better, I promise you I am. And I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be this way. I'm, I'm just going to get better. That's the way it is. And, and I thank you for all of your prayers. But I still feel like me. But I, I feel like somehow, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trapped inside this body. And there's so much that I want to do. But, but, but the truth of the matter, I still feel like I'm, I'm me. That I haven't changed. But, but when, I, when I look at the pictures and such, I, I know that I'm different. I know that I'm not the same. But the word soul comes from that Greek and Hebrew word which means being it's a true being jesus spoke of this you destroy this temple in three days i will raise it up he spoke of his true identity as god that if this body if this temple be destroyed he said i'm going to raise it up and after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth god came back into that body and that body came out my friend the stone was rolled away not to keep the body inside or not to let the body escape but the stone was rolled away so that you and I who are limited to this tabernacle of clay could look inside and see that it was empty but God came back in and raised it up oh hallelujah 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 now what's going to happen if I, if I happen to die outside of the body of Christ and I hope that's not it my soul my true self will be cast into hell but you see, John is receiving a revelation that there will be a day in which that my true self will come back and God will put that body together just like He will put the body back together for the saints who are resurrected from their graves. And then I will stand before God to be judged. And then, of course, hell, which was that jail where all of those condemned souls were held, is then swallowed up by the lake of fire. Now basically, we see this now in our judicial, uh, our judicial system. It, it's, it's amazing to me how many things you find in the Scripture we can also find in government. And uh, of course, Paul talks about this in Romans. Romans, the second and third chapter, he said, The Gentiles by nature, having not the law of God, do the things contained in the law. In other words, it's just... They just do it by nature. So basically in our uh, system of justice, if, if someone is caught with a gun and a police officer saw them, they take and put them in jail, they bring them out to be tried, it's pretty much determined before they're tried that they, they are guilty, but then they are cast into prison. 
Now, this is the same system that God has. Now, what I want to point out, though, is and you may say, why not all souls go to hell then to wait judgment day? And that's, that's the beauty of the plan of God. The beauty of the plan of God is that there are people who are walking here on this planet Earth who are not condemned because they have taken exception. They have taken the exception of the rule. They have applied it to their life. They've taken advantage of it. So as a result, when the trumpet of the Lord blows, guess what? They're going to go up to meet Him because there's no condemnation in their life. Now, I want to talk some further about this situation and why the saints are in this beautiful position that they're in. So if you will take your Bibles and turn first with me to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. We just want to take a look at, at one passage of Scripture. It's just a... I think it's just so beautiful. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And I'm going to read only the first part of verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, you notice what he's saying. He's saying that every man must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I believe according to Scripture that the judgment seat of Christ is set up right now and that this is different from the white throne judgment. At the white throne judgment, basically, this is when all of those people that have died unprepared will come and meet the Lord. Now, I believe that there is an exception to that, but I will not have time to speak on that. But I do believe that during the millennium uh, that there will be people who will be judged at the white throne judgment but that, that will be saved. But on the other hand, for us who are now living, God has set up His judgment seat now so that we can appear before the judgment seat. So let's turn to Hebrews the 11th chapter, pardon me, Hebrews the 4th chapter, and we'll just read a, a passage of Scripture that, that the writer uh, talks about, possibly the Apostle Paul. Many people believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But uh, let's look at... Uh, at Hebrews 4, oh my, this is, I think we have to almost back up to verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing sunder of soul and of spirit and the joints and mara, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him which whom we have to do. There was a question posed on a radio talk show that I was listening to not too long ago, and they were talking about the morality of an individual. And they said, what would happen in America? How would crime be if a person committed a crime and knew that he would not get caught? What would he do? <clears throat> of course, the first thing that came to my mind is that there's no need to talking about that because nobody really has that that guarantee. So you're talking about something that's probably impossible. There's no such thing as being put in a position where you can commit a crime and, and, and you're guaranteed that you'll never be caught. 
Now, there are people that thought they wouldn't get caught, but they ended up getting caught. So really, they, 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 they are proposing a scenario which is, is pretty much impossible because we, we all live under this, this, this fear of being caught doing something wrong. Isn't that right? <laughs> but the thing about it, what I, what I, want, to, what I want to propose in, in this Scripture is that you know, sometimes people think that they can do things and because nobody sees them that, that, that they're not going to get caught. And it's just not that way. Because there, there is a policeman, so to speak, who, who watches you. Uh, he can see you. He can know you at, at all times and see everything. There's some scary things happening in the world today. I was just reading about two weeks ago and they were, they, they were talking about the O.J. Simpson case and and they were talking about that they had called on the the L.A. Uh, the Los Angeles uh, Attorney General had called on the United States government uh, to to look into the satellite banks where they take the pictures to find out if they have any any information on this. I thought it was very intriguing. So uh, as I continued to to look at this, what they were saying that there's a place in South Carolina in which uh, all of the spy, we call, they didn't call them spy satellites, surveillance satellites, but that's basically what they are, that, that they, they are able, they said, to actually uh, photograph the entire planet Earth, every inch of it, at all times. Now, it, it scared me when I read this. They said, we have already solved crimes in, in New York and, and Chicago, and I think Atlanta, from satellite. They said... Uh, uh, we may not be able to, to tell because the, the angle of the satellite, but, but we do know this, that, that there was a satellite that was spying uh, on that street in Los Angeles at that hour in which that murder was committed. And, and if O.J. Simpson's Bronco was there, we will know it. Now, let me back up. They, they said, we will know it providing the angle. There could be trees or something in the way. And they said that we have already solved some crimes where we could actually see the, the victims and we could see the murder in process. Scary. They said we, we could actually tell at least by... The way we're, we're set up, at least a two-inch square, we can, we can see. We can read his license plate. We can tell if it's his car, providing the angle's right. Now, I, I, it just blows my mind. I said, man, well, now what I'm saying is if, if man can do something like this, how much more can God? You know, how much more can God? Obviously, the satellite can't see through this building. Nobody. I wish, I wish somehow they could see what we're doing right now. <clears throat> but but they're, not, they're not able to do that. They can't see through this building. But uh, it, it is so amazing. But there is a God in heaven that can look down. And He can see everything. He can see, see through walls. You, that's, that's the reason why that David said, you cannot go to a mountain that God's not there. And you cannot go to the bottom of the sea. God is there. You can't run and hide from Him. He's always there. Was there the prophet spoke of a man who's running from God. He said, 
you know, he, he's like an individual who's trying to escape from, from some beast. He runs from a bear. And, and maybe he escapes from the bear, but then he meets the lion. And, and then he runs the other way, and, and, and then he sees this, this, this cottage, and he thinks, oh, there's, there's shelter, there's safety. He runs in, slams the door, and locks it. He's out of breath. And then he goes over and leans up against the wall, and there's a viper hanging on the wall, and it bites him and kills him. And this is what he said. He said, it's just that difficult to get away from God. You, can't, you cannot escape from God. You cannot run from God. So that's what the Bible's saying. See, the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder and of soul and of spirit and to the joints and the mar. And as a discerner, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God can not only read your mind, but He knows the motive that causes you to do what you do. See, this is the reason why that I think there's special spiritual gifts given to parents from God. That parents can also know the motives of their children. They can discern. You know, there's a spiritual gift called discerning of spirits. There's also a spiritual gift called Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Did you know that? I believe that, and I believe that God gives parents this. I believe that God gives Sunday school teachers. I believe that God gives pastors this gift. Sometimes you will know something's wrong. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you know it's not right. But the hypocrite is a person who likes to live their life and do things behind the scenes that they think that God will never see. But I'm here to tell you, my friend, one of these days, God's going to call you to be in His presence. And everything that you have hid, everything that's been hidden, the Bible says, will be revealed from the housetop. That simply means that the white throne judgment will be just as real as this pulpit is real, and the gathering will be just as real as the person next to you will be real. And you'll be there in your own flesh. To stand before God. Now, for the saints, though, here's the beautiful, beautiful part of it. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. And mercy... The word mercy is found in the Scripture. Mercy means the withholding of judgment. God could, according to His law, because you are a sinner, He could deny you, He could reject you, He could send you into hell, but He's true to His Word. He made an exception to the rule, and therefore He withholds judgment because you boldly come before the throne of grace like the publican, not like the Pharisee, but like the publican that smote himself upon his breast and said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner! Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And one day, I came to the throne of grace, and there I found mercy. Mercy first, and then grace, unmerited favor. Oh, thank God. Thank God, thank God. 1 Timothy 5, 24, here's exactly what takes place as far as I can see in the Scripture. 1 Timothy 5, verse 24, 
Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. It simply means that God God has a way of coming down and touching us with conviction, and we come down to the altar. We have access to this judgment seat right now where we can go before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. I want you to take all my sin and I want you to take it away from me and cast it forever into the lake of fire where all other sins are going. I think one of the most beautiful teachings of the Scripture is the subject of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was more than atonement that was taken from the Hebrew word kephar in the Old Testament. That means to cover, to cover one sin. And that's what the blood of bulls and goats did. It covered the sin of man. But you see, when Jesus Christ came upon the scene, He did more than atone us, more than cover our sin. His blood washed our sins away. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And when you take that old man that's been crucified with Christ, that man that's repented, that man that has reached the judgment seat of Christ, and he has confessed his sins to the Lord and asked for forgiveness, you take that old man and you bury him in water. I'm here to tell you, my friend, there's something more than just the body getting wet. There's an application of the blood of Jesus Christ on the inner man that removes his old nature and his sin is then cast into the lake of fire to be judged. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, when, when you look in the Scripture about judgment, there's a, there's a tremendous, there's a tremendous responsibility that's placed in the hands of the saints of the Lord. I, I don't know if you... You actually understand this or not? Let's go to First Corinthians, the sixth chapter, and we want to re- do some reading there. This is this is just an amazing thing to me. <clears throat> Listen to this: <clears throat> Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust, and not before the saints? If you want to talk about judgment now, do you not know that? The saints shall judge the world. You hear what he's saying? The saints shall judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? In other words, what the Bible is saying is that there is a time which the saints are going to judge the world. Now, I'm going to cover this a little bit more in a few minutes. They said it doesn't sound right that a brother would sue a brother to take him to the law to let people who live under the condemnation of God to search out the truth of the matter when the church is given that same ability. Know you not that we shall, I'm going to put the word also, judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life. If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. And then, of course, verse, uh, uh, well, let's just read it all. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Question mark. 
But God, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbeliever. Now therefore, it is utterly a fault among you. And basically what he's saying is that, you know, you look at each other and say, well, you're not able to do this. That, that the church is not able to decide certain matters. And, and I guess we just look at the frailty of humanity and the mistakes that we make, and we say, oh, well, I guess we're not really able to look on, uh, to judge such matters. We know that according to the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew, that, that, that Jesus talks about the discipline in the future church. Uh, Moreover, if a brother shall trespass against thee, go to go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now this is the way that you settle matters in the church. In other words, you don't get on the telephone, call somebody else and spread it up. Spread it out. In other words, if somebody has offended you or trespassed against you or sinned against you, you take care of the matter by yourself. And you don't get anybody else involved. You know, quite often people come in and tell me something. I said, well, have you gone to that person? No. I said, well, you shouldn't be telling me that. Not at this point. Well, I just thought the pastor ought to know. Well, I don't need to know unless it reaches the stage in which I have to intervene. Okay? All right. Verse 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. Now, I know I know the question that people ask. I've been asked this question all my life. And that is, if you, in other words, if you bring someone in and you take, if that person has, has repented their sins, that person's been baptized in Jesus' name, and that person's been filled with the Holy Ghost, are you saying that the church... And that man's name's been written on the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you saying that the church has the authority from God to take his name off? I didn't write the Bible. Now, that's the big question. I did not write the Bible. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, if you make him a heathen on earth, he becomes a heathen in heaven. You may say, oh, Brother Grant. Well, I didn't write the Bible. You see, every now and then a person's disciplined, they don't feel that they ought to follow discipline because they think, well, these are just mere human beings like me. So, who has the authority on this earth to tell me what I should do or what I should not do. I guess God does. I'm not reading out of the Sunday funnies. I'm reading out of the book. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and, or others Jeremus, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? 
verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, for Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it from thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now what he's saying is the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And Peter, I'm giving you a key to keep people out of there. I'm giving it to you because you had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was or who He is. Now notice, Peter was the man on the day of Pentecost that stood up and preached when they asked, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now he preached it on earth and it was bound on earth. But it was also bound in heaven. Now notice this in verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus said when it comes to putting a man's name on the Lamb's book of life, man, the church is involved in this. He also says now there is a time in which discipline must take place on the planet earth. You may disagree with me, but I'm only reading Scripture, and I don't think you can interpret this any other way. Inasmuch as the church has the authority to help a man's name be put on the Lamb's book of life, the church also has the authority to get it off. You may say, but the Bible says no man can pluck me out of the hand of God. You've got to understand one thing, that when, when, the church, when the church disciplines someone in this nature, God has already recognized what has happened. And if a man wants to go wayward and he wants to go in his sinful way, let him be as a heathen and let him go. But the church needs to recognize that this man is in that position and this man then becomes a heathen unto the church. And the church is simply recognizing or working in harmony with God to see that this is accomplished. The church has to work in harmony with God to see that somebody's name is put there. They work in harmony with God to see that somebody's name is taken off. And you may say, oh, my, Brother Grant, this, this almost scares me that this church would have the ability to do that. Well, you know the problem with us today? There's so much rebellion in our world, and there's no respect for people, and we do not esteem each other like we need to esteem each other. And furthermore, we don't view the church as the sacred entity that it is with God. It is God's place on this planet Earth. It marches through this world in God's stead. If there's anything that you need to, to have a, a real deep appreciation for, for it's the blood-bought church. It's the redeemed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Now, when we look at judgment, <clears throat> as we know judgment today, there are two aspects of ju judgment. One is determining guilt, and then, of course, the other is the actual sentence. Now, now the church just determines guilt. 
are not guilty. You follow what I'm saying. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And, and so that simply means that if we were to disfellowship someone, we wouldn't take them out in the parking lot and stone them. Uh, that's pretty much what happened in the Old Testament. But we don't do that. Because there's more to judgment than, than just determining right and wrong. So I, I, I am saying this, that, that even a, a person, even if a person has committed some horrible sin, after they have been warned, and they have been warned, and they're disfellowshipped, that person should still be treated like we would treat any other person that's unsaved. Now, we may not have a lot of fellowship with them, or we're not supposed to have any, but you follow what I'm saying. They still need to be saved. We find examples in the Scripture where a man was disfellowshipped because of fornication, and later on came back to God and made things right, and the church accepted him, and, but he had overcome this problem. Now, I said all that, and I'm not for sure why I did, but I did. But let me, let me go on to talk to you about something I feel is very important about this. The saints shall judge the world. All right, let's turn to Revelation 4. Revelation 4 is when the rapture takes place. Now, I know I received the pulpit quite late tonight, and I may be going a little bit overtime already, but I, I want to hurry along as fast as I can. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, that door opened up into heaven, <clears throat> this is the rapture taking place. In other words, John, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, he received revelation from God, and he wrote the book called the book of Revelation, not Revelations, but Revelation. And it is a revelation of all of life since before time until after time. And what it does, it reveals or brings into focus all the prophecy of the entire Bible. So when you see that a description of Jesus Christ being Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, quickly after that, chapter 2, <clears throat> after the introduction of Jesus Christ, we find the seven church letters, Revelation 2 and 3, which are indicative of church ages. And those ages represent periods of time from the time that Jesus Christ lived until this present time that we live. Then after the church age of Laodicea, which is the last church age, and this is what we're fighting today. It's a church age that's full. It is full to capacity of materialism. The greatest hindrance that you'll have on this planet Earth in living for God is that big fat paycheck you get that enables you to have so many things in life. And we say, well, that's not my case. Well, <clears throat> but I have, known of, I have known of people that have gone through some very, very difficult lean years. In fact, I've gone through, through, through some very lean times before. And you know what brought me into those lean times? It happened to be the fat paychecks I received that I didn't really honor God and I was not the steward that I need to be. And that's what put me where I was in those lean years. You follow what I'm saying? And now that's not always the case. There are cases in which God tries people. I'm not trying to judge anybody. 
And if you're going through a, a, a very plenteous moment, make sure that you honor God and exercise good stewardship. But if you're going through some lean years, don't beat yourself over the head about the past. Just get everything together right now and be as spiritual as you can and move on from this moment and live without condemnation. <coughs> All right, so here, here we find that, that, that John heard this trumpet blowing and this voice talked to him and he said, Come up hither. That's explained in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting verse 13. The trumpet of the Lord's going to blow. The dead in Christ are going to be raised incorruptible. And we that are alive and remain, there's going to be another trumpet blow, and we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's what the Scripture says. It's going to be like a trumpet blowing, but it's going to talk to me personally. I'm going to hear Jesus Christ call my name one of these days. <clears throat> now, this is what he says, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And then we find the tribulation period coming. Oh, the question that a lot of people ask me. This is mostly asked by people who don't want to live right today. They say, well, can I be saved in a tribulation period? My friend, it's my firm feeling that if you can't live right today because of tribulation, you won't make it during the tribulation period. <clears throat> and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and one sat on the throne. All right? Now... <clears throat> We go to Revelation 5. And I saw, in the, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written wherein and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Now, what, what is in the book? Most of you know that if you've studied your Bible much, these are the judgments that's going to come upon the book, upon the face of the earth. And what it is, there's a book, and men are going to be judged out of the book. And what's going to happen is there's some seals that seal this book. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> there's one that's set on the throne. And the Bible tells us that he saw the book in the right hand of him that's set on the throne. Now, who is the him that's on the throne? Now, <clears throat> before you say anything, okay, because this is what happens to a lot of people because Trinitarians come and they say, oh, yeah, but behold, there was a lamb in the midst of the throne. And this is true. See, one of the elders said, verse 5, Weep not, behold, a line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals, the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne. Now, where was Jesus Christ? Where was he? He was in the midst of the throne. Was it not? Now, who had the book in their hands? Or in his hands? He that sat on the throne. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Now, <clears throat> if you turn back to with me to Second Thessalonians, 
we want to talk about the hymn in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> it's not 5. I don't know why I said 5. It's 2. <coughs> no, it isn't 2 either. Yes, it is. <clears throat> no, I'm in 1 Thessalonians. I'm in the wrong book. All right. Second Thessalonians 2. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any man, means, but that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now that's talking about the Antichrist. That's the reason why we put so much significance on the rebuilding of the temple. Now I personally, you listen to me, I personally do not think that that temple has to be built in the old temple spot. Because I'm not convinced that God would allow the Antichrist to sit in that temple. I think the false god could sit in a false temple, so to speak, or substitution. We call it a false temple, all right? Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Talking about the Antichrist, all right? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Notice it says, until he be taken out of the way. There is something in this planet Earth that's keeping the Antichrist from rising to the forefront. What is it? It's Jesus Christ in His church. It's the body of Christ. And He, the body of Christ, must be taken out of the way before the Antichrist can be revealed. I'm telling you with this worldwide sweeping revival that we're seeing, with hundreds and thousands of souls being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost. We sometimes think, oh, things are just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And that is true to a degree because the Bible prophesies of it, but it also talks about a revival in the last days. I say a revival in the last days. And you will find that in time, there is no new thing. That the pendulum swings one way, and then it swings back this way. And it swings back this way, and it swings back this way. And right now, uh, we just went through a political uh, election in which uh, a lot of conservatives have been in power. But you give the conservatives two or three or four years, and if they don't change things monumentally, it'll swing back the other way. Why? Because people are looking for some utopia right here on this planet Earth to live. And they won't find it here. It will not come on this planet Earth. It cannot come in this planet Earth. Oh my. Listen to me. But you see, the true blood-bought body of Christ is holding back the Antichrist. We go up to be with him on the throne, and we're gathered around him. And we will be with him at the white throne judgment to judge the world. You see, that's what Peter was talking about, and that's what Paul was talking about when he says the saints shall judge the earth. Well, what about us at the judgment seat of Christ? Because when we're taken up, awards are given to us according to what we've done. 
But you see, when the trumpet of God blows, that's a judgment within itself. If there's no condemnation and there's no police that's caught you in any act, no crime has been committed because you've been cleansed with the blood and you go into his presence. The he is speaking of the body of Christ. And sometimes we look at the church as the bride of Christ, but quite frankly, the male pronoun is used more in the New Testament concerning the body of Christ than, than the female. She or the bride of Christ. Now, in Revelation 4, there is a he that sits on the throne. <clears throat> And the book, in other words, the power, is then taken out of the hands of God. God's always had power to judge the world. And given to Jesus Christ, God's, Jesus Christ, since his coming, he shall judge the world. Judgment has come. I'm a firm believer that he took the book out of the saints of God because they held the book and they weren't able to open it. Why? Why were they not able to open it? Because, you see, I came through this planet Earth touched by sin. I couldn't open that book. Only he who came in the form of a man, only he, who came to the planet earth and lived sinless. Only he who made me pure and white and clean. He took the book out of the hands of the church. Went to the balconies of heaven and opened the seals. And he dumped it on the planet earth. One judgment's no more than just the prayers of the saints being, being dumped out on the planet Earth. That's what one judgment's all about. What do you mean the prayers of the saints? That means every prayer that's ever been prayed for any lost soul is locked up in a book someplace. And God's just going to step out on the balconies of heaven and open it up. And every man that walks on this planet Earth unsaved is going to hear a prayer prayed for him. He'll know he had an opportunity to be saved, but he didn't take it. I'm preaching about no condemnation. I don't think there's a better feeling in all the world than to know that he who never sinned became sin for me and washed me clean. I stand in a lot of awe Submitting myself to the body of Christ. Times when I sit in meetings like I do with the general board meetings and such, we go over some things. And every now and then I'll vote the wrong way or the way that things didn't go. You know, things are the way I didn't think they should go. So this, look, this is the body of Christ. I'm not saying... I am not saying that we're not human beings. I'm not saying that we're pure and clean and white. It just simply means God doesn't have a better system than this system. And so as a result, then, I just 
give myself humbly to the body of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I love you. I want you to know I appreciate you, but more than that, I want you to know I need you. I need every one of you. This is the reason why there's, when one suffers, we all suffer. We've got some suffering people here. Some are suffering financially. We're all suffering with you. Because we understand the importance of your life in this body. But make sure whatever you do that you live free of condemnation. How do I do that? By just continuing to walk in the Spirit. But don't let this world and all of its glitter entice you away from the blood. Don't let the world with all of its bright lights call you. Don't let it. We must stand. Halaboshandalabahataya. My Jesus, Lord. Let's wait upon an interpretation. If you have it, respond to God. praise singers will begin to sing without any further ado we just want you to come on come on all of you let's seek God God's getting us rapture ready oh hallelujah
Blood. 